My name's Sarah, and I think I barely made it here. We had, I, I reside in Amsterdam, and we had airport strikes yesterday. So I've enjoyed telling the story because I've never seen anything like it. The Dutch are so efficient, and so the airport is usually the most efficient I've ever been to every single time. And they, the government literally said, cancel your holidays, do not come to the airport, and they, they literally cut off the exits for cars and said no more people can come to the airport because of the strikes, people couldn't get out, and it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. So I feel very lucky to be here, very, very thankful to be here with you guys. So welcome to Spiritual Formation and the Kingdom Within. If that's not where you want to be, then feel free to quietly get up and go. <laughs> if that's not what you're looking for. Um, Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. And yeah, excited to journey into this topic with you. It's one I'm really passionate about. Hopefully you've read the blurb. Uh, you know what that's what this is about. And um, the last line I shared in the blurb was, uh, feel free to limp in, as Wim Wimber would say. Um, for some of you that might not be aware, you know, it's like insider language, like, you know how he said that, and then, then you're sitting there, some of you are like, no, actually, I don't, I don't know what he said. But he would say, never trust a leader without a limp. And so if that's you, you are in good company. You're very welcome here. Let's just pause for a moment and locate ourselves. We've all been bustling about. Maybe you've just come from another seminar or time with people, but let's just pause and rest for a moment. Maybe close your eyes. Open up your heart to God. Maybe posture yourself in a way um, that indicates that. Maybe you open up your face to God, lift your face, open up your hands. <coughs> Ignatius, who is a student and master of spiritual formation would say, Go into your place of prayer and let God look at you. So just notice for a moment God's loving gaze on you. Maybe you see it or sense it somehow or just trust in faith that God sees you in this moment. <clears throat> Hagar called God the God who sees Elroy. So just take notice of the one who notices you. <coughs> and just locate yourself before God. How is it that you come to this time? And just share that with God in the quiet of your own heart. And notice your longings. What is it that you long for from God? You can answer that however you want, but what do you notice? 
when you answer that question, what do you want? What do you long for? What do you need from God? Thank you, God, for your presence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. We open up our hearts to you and we lift up our hearts to you. Amen. So the kingdom of God in spiritual formation. We love talking about the kingdom in the vineyard, right? Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God with both specificity but also with mystery. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's kingship where God reigns and rules. And we see in the scriptures, the kingdom touching social structures and creation and relationships and bodies, right? He talked about being out there and he also talked about it being in here, inside of us. I love Luke 17. If you have an outline, you'll probably see it there. Verse 21, the kingdom of God does not come when people are spying on it nor will they say, behold, it is here or there, for the kingdom of God is within you. Literally, entos, no, entos, inside, inside you. It's a beautiful, did a nice little study on that word recently, really fun. But it literally means the kingdom of God is inside you. So we talk a lot about what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to expand and break into the world and it's also important to think about what it's like when the kingdom of heaven breaks in and expands within you. Um, just to go back to the definition that you might have read in the blurb, spiritual formation is the lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So there's this experience of Union with God, the theological terms, union and participation. The closer you live to the heart of God, the more you're going to respond to that love, right? So it's the lifelong process of the kingdom of God expanding within us. It's a process that happens. Here's Dallas Willard's words. It's a process that happens to everyone. The most despicable as well as the most admirable of persons have had a spiritual formation. Terrorists as well as saints are the outcome of spiritual formation. Their spirits or hearts have been formed. I was even just thinking in the last few days about this, you know, just thinking about different pastors, um, moral failures that just continue to pop up over time rhythmically. And it's, it's not that they're especially bad people, but we just are formed through our environments. When you're used to being in a place of fame, it does something to your heart. When you're in a place of power, it does something to your heart. You have to actively engage in formation to go against that formation and the effect it has on the human soul, right? None of us are immune to that. Here's a little schnib about me. I was plunged into this work many years ago as I found myself on a path not of my own choosing, as Henry Nouwen would call it. 
I had pastored for many years at a wonderful church, Vineyard Columbus, back in my home city, and I was pretty burnt out from unhealthy team dynamics and uh, not living within my own human limitations and dealing with a nasty scandal within our church of a leader who had a moral failure, and I was left to clean up some of the mess with some others. And around that time, I came across our Sustainable Faith School of Spiritual Direction, and that introduced me to what felt like a whole new world. Um, Yeah, Sustainable Faith was birthed within the cradle of the Vineyard Stateside, and I, uh, by a longtime pastor and church planter, Dave Nixon, who's a dear friend and mentor, but through the school, I found language to describe my experience, the shifting that was happening in my image of God. Um, and I let go of a lot of certainties and sort of black and white answers to things and began to learn to hold mystery in my heart and to see mystery in the scriptures and hold that. I found new ways of praying and being with God, new ways of engaging with scripture. And honestly, I had no idea what spiritual direction was at the time, but I knew God was drawing me to do this. God was drawing me into spiritual formation in a deeper way. And I also began seeing a spiritual director. And I was in a place of not knowing who I could trust and was pretty closed up inside because of a lot of the betrayal that I had experienced in ministry. And I had called a woman in the city who I kept hearing about. Her name kept popping up everywhere. And before showing up at her house, her home office, I had a dream about her before ever meeting her. And so that really awakened something in me of like, basically I knew God was like, you need to tell her everything. You need to just trust her and tell her everything and not hold back. And the experience was truly life-changing for me. So healing. And I experienced a closeness with Christ healing presence that was, yeah, that continues to follow me to this day. And it was especially in my places of pain and suffering. I just didn't even know how to go into some of that with God, especially. So I found myself more curious about what God was doing um, in people's lives. You know, I felt, uh, yeah, I was just more curious, less needing to, um, have the answers or or what have you, but I, I, I learned how to better companion people and discern with them what God was doing in their life instead of having some sort of agenda I had to put across to them. And a number of years later, as I transitioned out of my pastoral position at the church, which I loved with the intent of church planting, um, all the while working on a, another theology degree and beginning a spiritual direction practice, within six weeks of that transition, I had a practice of 30-some people. And I was like, whoa, this is clearly hitting a need. There's some need in the people of God that this is kind of erupting. And I knew, I knew there was, I knew God was doing something. And many of these people were pastors and leaders, and I began to wonder about what need this was actually hitting in them. A lot of them had vibrant ministries and mentors and spiritual friendships and community. 
And that was the beginning of a journey I've been on ever since. And I knew I was tapping into a movement of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's a wave that continues to swell and grow. So let's talk for a minute about like the charismatic and the contemplative. I'd love for this to feel like a more both and conversation than the way often is in our conversations in the church. And I'll do this by way of story because I had just a really kind of interesting, funny experience years after this. Um, and so years ago, a few years ago, I was leading a retreat for a group of pastors um, stateside in the vineyard. There's a whole region that we're having a retreat together and there were dozens of pastors there. And honestly, many of them were really tired and beat up from the journey. And I spent time just teaching them, offering them spiritual direction questions, you know, leading them in practices. And then we'd open things up in ministry time. And it was just a time to care for some of the shepherds of God's flock. And one of the leaders who'd been on the national team for many years, someone I really respected, um, came up to me before one of the sessions and said he had some words to share. And I was like, sure, great. And then he also made sure to tell me that this contemplative stuff is just not for me. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting you say that. Um, and uh, it was such a funny interchange. And I just guided everyone through a time of communion. And we shared with each other, we kind of broke into groupings, and we shared with each other our own sufferings as we remembered the sufferings of Jesus. And people shared with uh, the, the others their losses. You know, I remember one, one couple sharing about the loss of a child, another sharing about a recent diagnosis, another an addiction of one of their kids. Others brought forward betrayals they had experienced in ministry. And I bet if we went around this room, we could share some of the very same things that we carry with us. And this leader got up in front after, um, after this time and he said, if someone came into this room these last couple of days, they would never want what we have. He said, this is nothing but a bunch of navel gazing. And he said, you've lost, some of you have lost sight of your destiny and we want to pray for you. And before he could say much more, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, felt really protective of the people. Um, but I felt protective because I knew what some of the people were carrying in the room. And I knew God wanted, God welcomed space for that. And I said, you know, we just meditated on the scripture where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said, if you've lost sight of your destiny, it's okay, because Jesus did too, right? If, if God himself can, Christ, can feel abandoned by God, it's okay when we go through our bouts of feeling abandoned by God, right? Right? And again, it's the difference between what's true and what's real, right? Was it true that God abandoned Jesus? No. Was it real to Jesus? Yes. That was a moment where his humanity was just eclipsing his experience of divinity, right? 
And afterwards, of course, I had stories pour in of how God touched people and healed them. I remember one woman writing me who I prayed for who just said, I don't know how to explain it. She had dealt with insomnia for several years. I don't know how to explain it. It was coming off of a trauma with, with one of her kids. And she said, I just haven't been able to sleep for years. And she said, but I've just felt drawn to just contemplate the cross of Jesus. She'd like be there at the foot of Jesus on the cross. And she just would contemplate that. And I felt like just all I did was bless that. And God healed her of her insomnia just after that experience. Just, wow, thank you, God. But a common misnomer with the contemplative is the accusation that it's navel-gazing, right? Maybe you're tempted to think of it that way, right? Is it just so touchy-feely, right? But we're whole people. Right? Our relationship with God should be full orb, include all of us, right? And it's those who avoid their suffering or the suffering of others that are the biggest liability. Those who don't consider the impact of their actions or what they claim to have heard from God are those the most need in need of personal contemplation, of slowing down, listening. Calvin said, there's no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self, and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. Or Augustine's simple prayer, novum te, novum me. May I know you, may I know myself. This is just to show you, this has been a part of church history for a very long time. These are not new sort of pop psychology, Christian ideas. This is the stuff that's been around in the church for centuries that we actually pay attention to ourselves and our interior life. Not just at the beginning getting rid of certain sins, but knowing, no, we continue to have a shadow side. We are continually being made into the likeness of Jesus. And Jesus would say things to the religious leaders like, first clean the inside of the cup. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders, the people of God, right? Now, to be perfectly honest, I am not naturally a contemplative. I've had to really grow into this. But as I've deepened my roots, I've continued to grow more contemplative. So what is it exactly? What's contemplation? Brueggemann has a great way of saying a long and loving look at the real. And maybe you've experienced that peaceful kind of restful phase after receiving prayer or a prayerful reading of scripture, maybe like a gospel contemplation or a lexio, there's this, there's this restful state that you rest in. That's historically been called contemplatio, contemplation. It's a resting in God's presence. The contemplative side of things tends to involve slowing down, becoming aware and listening. It's the slow work of God, okay? Let's talk for just a minute, we'll bounce back to that, but the history of the vineyard are contemplative roots. Notice I wrote question mark, what? The funny thing is John Wimber, the founder of our movement, before he was a charismatic was a Quaker. Quakers are contemplatives. I love hearing stories from like Penny Fulton or Cindy Rethmeyer, dear friend, share about the earlier days, talk about John, 
As a Quaker, he was used to sitting in silence for long periods of time, often with other people listening. Do you see how this influenced his charismatic practice? Imagine the formation that preceded what we tend to see in his let's wait on the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. But there was a deep formation that happened to him in those <coughs> contemplative beginnings. And in spiritual direction and other contemplative practices, we're doing and seeing what the Father is doing, John 5:19, not just in a moment, but over long stretches of time with a regular rhythm over many different seasons of a person's life, okay? So long before Wimber was offering his Come Holy Spirit prayers, he was learning to wait and listen in silence. Conversely, the charismatic tend to be the more fast work of God, right? The inbreaking moments of the kingdom that we love, the moment of healing or revelation or freedom. We tend to emphasize this one in the vineyard because it's what has been under fire or missing in the broader church. It's part of who we are. And I believe God is inviting us to be a movement who hold both. We never want to miss. This is part of our prophetic voice to the church, like reminding the church, no, actually, this all belongs. This all belongs. And I believe that we can be a movement that holds both. And I think we are, ever increasingly. I believe there are two sides to the same coin, the contemplative and the charismatic. They're each the inbreaking of the kingdom in God's way and in God's time. Neither should be forced. forced. Each are to be welcomed. And one holds the other in balance. The more we honor the contemplative, the more healthy our discernment processes will be and the less fallout we will see to our charismatic practices. The more we honor the charismatic, the more we remember that God can surprise us and bring about change. It's been amazing to see this movement really take root, even the contemplative movement begin to take shape in the vineyard and how quickly it's even happening. And I think it's because in the vineyard, we are people who love God's presence. We love God's voice. Fast or slow, we will take it, Lord. We want it. Fast or slow, God, you decide. You are God and we are not. So, just some spiritual direction questions for you. Maybe you want to come back to these later. But what are the most powerful now moments of the kingdom you have ever experienced? Isn't that a fun one? Wouldn't it be fun just to go around the room and share? What are the most powerful now moments of the kingdom you've ever experienced? Maybe just title a couple of them, write them down. And then this one, 
What are the not yets of your life that you can invite God into now? Have you allowed God to enter in? How have you allowed God to enter into your suffering with you? So consider what are, it's important to also notice what are the not yet. Let yourself feel it a little bit. Have you allowed God to enter into that with you? Is that the part that we'd rather avoid? So let's stay with the not yet of our stories for a moment. Suffering and the invitation to the deeper journey. If you pastor long enough, if you're around the church long enough, just a human long enough, you start to ask questions like, well, what about the not yet of the kingdom? What about my chronic illness that I've gotten lots of prayer about, totally believed I could be healed, so did the people praying for me? or my failed marriage, or my ministry that I know God spoke about, but it certainly didn't turn out the way I had hoped. What about these people in my church who are suffering? How do I pastor them? What do I say? Keep praying? What else can I do? Maybe there's another invitation at work. Maybe there's a deeper journey one is being invited to. Maybe we don't ever get to understand why we suffer. But what if we can meet Jesus in a special way in our suffering? What if we can know Jesus in a way we wouldn't otherwise? Doesn't mean that's the reason that we suffer. But it means we get to know the suffering God better. It's an experience of union with Jesus. Suffering is any experience where we are out of control, powerless to change things. It can be pain in our bodies, violence or harm or abuse done to us. It can be an unfulfilled desire or longing for marriage, for a baby, for a ministry. It can be loss of a loved one, of a dream, of a job, a home, a voice, a marriage. It can be loss due to aging. It can be an injustice. All of these things are examples of suffering. All of them matter to God. God has a special place in his heart for the suffering ones. A bruised reed I will not break, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. In one of my favorite books, Interior Freedom by Jacques Philippe, 
I reread it every year because it kind of kicks my butt and recalibrates me. It reminds me who's God. And he talks about in everything we have a choice. And so he's, it's sort of like empowering. Like, no, in everything you have a choice to either choose resignation, whatever, who cares, apathy, that's resignation, or rebellion, find God, that's the way it is. I don't really care what you think, do, I'm out. Or there's consent, and consent is the high road, but if we can consent to what is happening, accept it as our one actual, beautiful, sometimes terrible life, and choose to trust God in it. Choose against our own, you know, senses sometimes. But that consent is why Jesus could say, no, you don't take my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. He consented to the greater narrative that was at work in suffering. Did they kill him? Yes. But he laid his life down. He agreed to a greater narrative that was at work. And so we start to realize that God doesn't always choose to rescue us or deliver us or heal us in the way we would like or the people we love. And there are times we feel forgotten and we don't see what God is doing. And this is sometimes large stretches of our life or, or certain areas of our life. We might feel one way in one area and another way in another area. But sometimes our God, instead of pulling us out, actually enters in to our suffering with us, right? To console us, to comfort us, to strengthen us. His grace is simply enough. And I don't know about you, with this war happening right now, close by Ukraine, I have no idea how to pray except Christ have mercy, Christ be, be with the dying, be with the tortured. You God who are familiar with suffering and injustice. So God doesn't always rescue us out of it. Sometimes he enters into it with us. This week I got to hear a mother who just lost her three-year-old couple weeks ago, complete tragedy, and I got to sit with her in a holy conversation of listening to her describe the questions, like God didn't answer our prayers, and also got to hear about the profound ways that God is comforting her and consoling her and her husband. It's miraculous. How does that even happen? I love talking about the Paschal mystery. It's this idea of how suffering and death, as we pass through it, lead into resurrection life. 
Obviously, we see this in the life of Christ. But let me read you one of my favorite quotes by George Ashenbrenner, and I think I might have put it in the outline for you. He's a Jesuit. He says, when separated, so suffering and death, resurrection life, if you separate them, they lead to immature versions of the Christian life. When emphasis on the passion is out of balance, so when emphasis is on the suffering, when it's out of balance with the resurrection, life tends to take on an overly serious, hard, grim tone. This is what happens when we're confronted with our own suffering. With disproportionate emphasis on the resurrection, a superficial optimism fights a losing battle with the tragic misfortunes of life. Christian spirituality over the centuries has fluctuated between these excesses in a struggle for the integrated unity of the mystery. Do you get that? That's profound right there. The contemplative helps us to honor our suffering and death experiences. The charismatic helps us to honor our resurrection life experiences, okay? And this is why in our Schools of Spiritual Direction, we talk about the inward journey. And one of the books we read is called The Critical Journey by Hagberg and Gulick. It's an overpriced but very worth it book, <laughs> if that is the thing. You look at it and you're like, why did it cost this much? But I absolutely recommend it, particularly if you identify with what I'm about to talk about with stage four in the wall. But he talks about these stages of faith, and he says the first three stages of faith are the outward journey, and then the last three stages are the inward journey. So often it's first half of life, second half of life, not always. So if you have enough suffering early on in life, it punches you to the, to the latter stages a little earlier. But outward journey, stage one, awakening to God, all wonder. Stage two, the life of discipleship, where you start to get the patterning and the values of the tribe, and you usually have a leader that you follow, right? That's stage two. Stage three is the productive life. It's like you're doing the stuff. You're excited to do the stuff. You have energy and gumption for the stuff. You feel like there will never be a day where I don't want to do the stuff. And then life happens, and we hit stage four. Sometimes it's brick by brick we hit this wall. Sometimes it's a life or a faith crisis that just plows us into all at once. But in, there's this idea that in the first half of life, there's the building. And in the second half of these stages, it's a reassessment that occurs. And so I want to point out a couple of the stages in particular in light of this conversation. So stage three, you're doing the stuff. You get busy. You're told God has graced you with gifts, how you're going to serve. It's such a time of energy and wonder. And oftentimes, the church won't break out of these first three stages until the, the head pastor or pastors go through the wall or something cataclysmic. But there's a weariness that starts to come towards the end of stage three. Internally, you don't feel the changed person. When you're weary, you maybe start to feel like, well, maybe I'm overworked. Maybe I'm underpaid. Um, these are just natural things that start to come up in your heart as you hit head towards the wall but you start to scratch your head and wonder about things. You start to ask more and more questions. Um, and then 
as you start to move into stage four, like I said, that wall experience, it takes a lot of grace and courage and accompaniment. I don't know anyone who does stage four well without companionship. And often for me, that was a spiritual director without a doubt. And that's what I see happening a lot with the folks. Um, Cause there's often this experience where the people around you are often still in stage three and they're going for it and they should be bless them, but they don't get you and where you're at. They don't get what's going on inside of you. If you're in the stage four experience and until I went through it, I totally was judging the people that went through the stage four experience thinking they've really sold out. Like, what's their problem? Get back in line. Come on. We need your help. You know? Um, but there was their, their humanity was happening. Like the suffering was starting to like build up and actually affect the human soul as it should. That's a healthy response and reaction. And so it slows us down and it forces us to have to pay attention to what's really going on. So again, not what's true, but what's real. But in stage four, in the wall, there's a deep awareness of your sin or shadow side. We meet God in the valleys here there's an expansion of the image of God and your image of self. Oftentimes there's a sense of, mm, you're not who I thought you were, God. I thought if I did this, you would do this. I thought if I did this, my kids would be okay and they would follow you. I thought if I did this, you would protect me, right? And you start to think you're a heretic or losing your faith or a liberal or a backslider and you're not. God can feel emotionally distant. Again, there's often a life or faith crisis to this kind of experience. And there's a loss of certainties in life and faith. There's a search for direction, not answers. Answers don't work. People will give them to you still and just goes in one ear and out the other. You don't buy it. And it's often characterized by a pursuit of personal integrity in relationship with God. God's released from a box. And again, parent loss of faith, or so it may appear, you kind of feel like it, but you wouldn't dare say it. <laughs> but movement here comes from being willing to commit to whatever it takes, not letting go of God's hand, even if you don't know if you trust him or even maybe believe in him. Hard thing when you're a pastor to go through. <laughs> And I companion pastors all the time, so I know that this is actually a common experience for pastors, leaders. But movement through this stage comes from accepting your actual life, accepting God's purposes, accepting min uh, mystery. Yeah. And then as you go through it, what starts to happen is boom, then you start to move through stage four into stage five, which is surrendering to God. You understand yourself in new ways. You're finding new language and patterns and values. You're deepening in your life of prayer. You're deepening engagement with the scriptures. Usually it's not as much study. It's a lot more pray, prayer and praying the scriptures. I love study. I've, I've, given years of my life to it, but I see this pattern happen in people as they, as they engage this part of the journey. But there's also 
um, no external authority creating those. A powerful alignment starts to occur with the spirit and the still small voice of God. So it's like way more about what God is saying to you than what people are telling you you should be doing. That's a beautiful thing. And actually what starts happening is people give of themselves even more sacrificially to God. Not when they're in stage four. When stage four, they're hurting and beat up and they're needing help. They actually have to back off a little bit. Doesn't mean you quit. Doesn't mean you leave your post. But it means actually, like Ignatius would say, don't make any big decisions while you're in spiritual desolation. Okay? Just get through it. Hunker down. Share with people around you you trust. Keep worshiping. Keep praying when you don't feel like it. Worship is now protest. Don't do it like because you feel like it or you're getting that amazing experience with God's presence, right? Or just sit quietly in God's presence. But you start to pay more attention to your own desires. Like my face is turned towards God. I actually need to look at those deep God-given desires. Like the ones like he talks about, delight yourself in the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart. But God pours into you in a new way. And what matters most is love. And often it's really, like I said, it can have sacrificial implications. It's beautiful to watch. But there's this renewed sense of God's acceptance. A new sense of the horizontal life with people. A sense of, you, you tend to actually want to love on people, not just in the church, but outside the church in, in greater ways. But the experience of stage four, that wall experience, reminds us our relationship with God is not what we do for God. Because we often confuse those things. Like, what would you say if I asked you to tell me about your relationship with God? How do you respond to that question? I asked this question a lot early on in spiritual direction. And many people will tell me what they do in their devotionals and what they do for ministry. And I think, okay. That's not bad things. I'm happy to hear about those things. Wonderful things. Encouraging things. It's just not really what I asked. Um, really wanting to know about your relationship, right? Like, what's he like to you? How's he seen? What's he share with you? What do you share with him? Who in the partic- you know, the Trinity in particular, are you kind of like, who do you talk to the most? <laughs> who do you connect with the most? If I asked you about your relationship with your partner or your best friend, I would not want to know about the activities you do together, right? Or the acts of service you do for them. Does that make sense? And so uh, Bernard of Clairvaux talks about just brilliant monastic. Oh, I got to get to questions. We're almost there. He would talk about these four degrees of love. And one of them that he talks about, the second one, he says there's this whole thing of love of God for self. That there's, there's a period in our, our, our journey of faith where we love God because of how it bolsters our identity. Again, we need to go through this. It's not like, oh, that's so evil because you did it for you. It's like, no, it's part of our human experience, you know, that as we're getting to know God, we're, we're actually sort of like, yeah, some of it's because of the way it um, moves us, right? It's for us. And then he talks about this shift that starts to happen where there's love of God for God. That again, it's not based on the gifts that God gives us 
or the great service and ministry that we do, but it's just for God's very self. Because God, you're God. I just want to be with you. Ashton Brenner, same guy I quoted earlier, he said the danger is settling for the active life of service without the inner fire of love. Not a good one. So if you're in a place of pain, do not just try to slog your way through it and keep going at the same rate. And don't quit everything. Don't make decisions while in desolation. Find your way to God's love and care. My prayer lately has been, God, I want to give you my best offering. I know there's so many things I could do, some things I have to do, but I want to give you my best offering. I don't want to just busy myself endlessly. I want to bear fruit. And honestly, you guys, I do less now than I used to, and I think I bear more fruit. I think God showed me that. One thing I just want to invite you guys to consider as well is um, I shared about the schools of spiritual direction. We actually are going to have three in the UK. We'll have one in Northern Ireland that I'll be leading and two in England. One led by Johnny Norch, one led by Rona Quirk. Um, one will be, I think, Nottingham area around here-ish, and one will be, I think, in the London area. Um, and so just consider, it, this is something I especially is on my heart for pastors and leaders because not only is it training, but it also takes you on a journey yourself. Um, there are some people in the room who I talked to and some I didn't. <laughs> but if you're somebody that's been through the school, um, I'm gonna ask, and you're willing to have a chat with someone at the end, maybe for five minutes, if someone's interested, you could, they could go, okay, I could go talk to Joe then raise your hand. If you're presently in the school or you're, you previously were, you're invited to raise your hand now if you want. Don't feel like you have to if you don't wanna do it. So these are guys who've been in the School of Spiritual Direction now or previously, and they're willing to talk to you about it um, at the end. If you happen to have any desire to talk about someone's experience with that, they're also all spiritual directors. So some of them might have space for more people, um, you might want a spiritual director. My information's there if you want a spiritual director. I'm not trying to sell anything. I literally love this and believe in it and know how much I need it. So I just, I'm happy to help if anyone, like even personally, I'm happy to help you. My email is there. Feel free to contact me. Um, you could also look at our site, etc. But now we're gonna go into a time of questions um, for this last bit want to welcome you to ask any questions about anything we've talked about um, that might be helpful for the group, maybe even to clarify, um, anything like that. Anyone have any questions that you want to ask? Yes. Yeah, the five stages is in the book, The Critical Journey. And that's by Hagberg and Gulick. Critical, the Critical Journey. And it's in the bookstore. Wow, good stuff. I think every pastor should read it. Um, you won't understand some of it until you, you know, until some of you hit the wall. Or yeah, it sounds almost like weird. Like I'm waiting for you to hit the wall. It's not like that. 
but it's a great resource to even as a pastor have an idea of like, oh, this is what people are doing. Like this is what's happening. It's it allows you to give a more generous um, space to people who are just need to work through some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's some great resources out there. You could even, which one is this? Oh, mid, mid faith crisis. I wanted to offer it to the folks that are listening here too. There's some, yeah, there's some great stuff that, that, um, that you can find online. That's mid faith crisis. She said, thanks Emma. Other questions? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Do you think that the contemporary audience, like yeah, like us, how much can we derive from the classic spiritual spiritual directors, say like say Saint Ignatius? Right. Or the monastic. Yes, yes. Can we mix and match? I think we've done some of that in our own. I mean, you can't you can't not have that yeah. that combination um, in spiritual direction because the roots are monastic. The roots are that part of our roots in the church, um, and so I think some of that working and sort of contextualizing even for our DNA is sort of what we've found in the schools of spiritual direction, and we do um, definitely a main part of our training is even Ignatian spirituality. Um, we even train Ignatian directors within our organization. Uh, it's massively changed my life. I, I could literally like hop up on a soapbox right here and start talking about Ignatius because I think he's brilliant. And just, I actually just did an Ignatian pilgrimage. Do you know there's a thing like that? Um, but there's this journey you can go on that's been around for now 500 years where followers of Jesus have gone on a discernment path called the Ignatian Spiritual Exercises. And it's um, historically, it's been done even in 30-day retreats. But for those of us who have real lives, it's <laughs> over the course of eight months. You have daily practices, and you meet with a director weekly. Some people in this room are even being trained in that. They've just begun. Um, but it's it's contemplating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus over a period of months. And the impact it has on, on a person is remarkable. I mean, I've, I've had some really incredible charismatic experiences. And I would say, for sure, without a doubt, if someone said, what's the most potent, powerful experience you've ever had with God? I would say doing the Ignatian exercises. So huge resource that's available for you, um, probably people in different traditions close by even that could offer them. Um, if you don't want to do it with us, there's probably loads. But the contextualization's already been happening in, you know, within our organization since we have the, the DNA of the vineyard. So if you want that. Good question. In your experience, are, are there uh, um, local churches that are good examples of weaving this type of, this dimension of spiritual formation into the life of the local church, which benefits 
That's a great question. I, I, I want to answer that, I think, both and, because I think I've seen both and. Um, the question is, oh, I don't even know if I could, I, I would love to repeat it. Maybe we'll come back to that. Um, I'll just answer it and see if it makes sense. Sorry if you're hearing one side of the telephone conversation, people who are listening to the recording. Um, when a pastor goes on the journey, without a doubt, it affects the whole community, especially in a, a beautiful way, especially if the pastor can keep his individual journal, his or her individual journey separate from the whole church, not expecting the whole church to be right there with them, but go on their journey whilst like being differentiated and staying connected. Um, and eventually then has the formation and can invite others along on the journey who are also kind of going through these different stages of faith. Um, I have lots of examples that where I've seen that happen in pastors. I've also seen where, you know, part of my vision would be, man, if we could just have a wider expression of spaces that are available to people in the movement that, that maybe are even besides alongside the, the local churches, but, but do you know like an identity formation, like a toddler when they're going through their identity formation, they have to kind of kick around and fight you and no, no, no. And then you see another version of that in teenage years. It's similar, I think, with these stages of faith. You kind of need a little space sometimes to find like, find your identity. Like, okay, I need to, I need to figure out what's happening here. I need some space. So to really give yourself space to really look at it and journey and not just, again, feel like you have to look like everybody around you. So the reason I share that is I think, man, wouldn't it be beautiful if we had in the vineyard more and more, we already are beginning this, we've already begun this, where we have more and more spiritual directors, people who love the church, who believe in the church and understand this journey where people, they say, I'm not, I'm not afraid of your questions. I'm not afraid of your process. You're welcome here. This, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, you're welcome to process this here. Um, and maybe even other spaces like monastic spaces, retreat spaces, you know, living communities, um, orders of faith, you know, like monastic orders, like having these in the vineyard. These are some of the things that I've seen begin um, on the other side of the pond. So, yeah, I think for me, I would love to see a both and, you know, kind of experience with this. Um, because sometimes people need a little differentiation with this stuff to really process it, you know. Um, with what I was dealing with, um, it, it meant a lot that I had a woman who understood and loved the church and had tons of pastoral experience, but she wasn't connected to my particular church so I could just let it rip with her and go there with God with her, you know. So that differentiation and that journey was really helpful for me to continue to create spaces like that and communities even like that. What if we had just more spaces for people who are kind of going through some of this deconstruction stuff and um, welcoming the questions? They often really aren't necessarily needing answers. They're just needing to feel heard, like their questions to feel heard, you know?
the kind of questions we see in like Psalm 13 though, like, why have you forsaken me? Will my enemies always triumph over me? Like, like a space where they're allowed to say that without, God is with you, God is not abandoning. It's like, yeah, I, but again, what's true, what's real? I know this in my head, that's just, everything inside me is screaming at you right now. This is not helping, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? Got maybe room for one more. Yeah. I guess just to say that Duncan's gone through this school with you. Here, how about we do this? If anyone wanted to talk. Just in response to your question, I guess I've got testimony about that. that um, Duncan and I lead uh, a vineyard in Southampton, um, and we've been on a journey trying to figure out some of this stuff for a long time, and then Duncan went on the, the school with you, and it's consolidated a lot of what we've been thinking. So half of our church have been part of a sort of new monastic, um, quiet community, and we, we sign up to a rule of life, which is sort of a sort of something that comes in this package, doesn't it? And it's about um, pursuing quietness um, and our ways of worshipping God would, would now look very different from they, what they did when we first started. So we might have worship time might be quiet rather than singing songs. So have you wanted to chat with us? <laughs> we're just having a go. We're not saying we know many answers. But, um, yeah, so we're trying to integrate that into church life and for it not to be just about people who are part of something outside of church bring it in but we we're trying to make it sort of more integral to what we do so and we're a vineyard and we're trying to we're still in the family and <laughs> That's right. yeah we're vineyard through and through yeah um i'm so glad you said that because i don't i really just wanted to ask those guys questions but i don't want to put them on the spot but um any of these guys like such a resource here if you want to hear more about this for your church i've sent people their way before just they've they've actually been doing this for years i think they do have some really valuable answers and yeah um i'm gonna wrap us up and again those people maybe you guys could come just sort of stand up here um have a chat you, you go on a walk together or something i'll stick around but um those of you that are in the schools or have been in the schools if you guys just happen to want to have a chat with somebody um I've had the complete privilege of training directors for the movement, and these that's who these guys are. So, um, yeah, let me just bless us before we go, okay? Thank you, God, for each person here and the slow work that you're doing in each of us. We welcome your slow work, God, even amidst all of our impatience and frustration with that. We welcome you into these places. I bless you guys. I bless the kingdom of heaven to expand within you. Your awareness of God to widen, to have a fuller understanding of God's heart. Fuller understanding of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God, just seep in more deeply anything, just even if it's one thing, God, from this time. Pray you'd call people into this work, this contemplative work in the movement. I pray you would, you would uh, issue callings for spiritual directors, people who can companion and pastor in this ancient practice. Hmm. Just 
Just rest on us, Holy Spirit, even as we go from this time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, amen. amen. Thank you so much. Good job.